there's that. probably four or five legitimate candidates on the Democratic side, and they will emerge over time. The other ones will fade away, and they will be able to tell their grandparents or their grandchildren they ran for president. And that'll be it. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Controversy this week leading up to yesterday's Indy Pride Parade with the race for mayor taking center stage. Last week we spoke with Republican mayoral candidate Jim Merritt. After that interview we learned he planned on marching in the Pride Parade. But Pride leaders said he wasn't welcome because of his past vote for RIFRA in the state Senate. Our Nick McGill has more. This is Indy Pride's celebration. I don't want to be a distraction. And so he's out. Indy mayoral candidate and state senator Jim Merritt announcing he'll no longer walk in the Indy Pride Parade. I have come to realize the reality of discrimination, the fear, the prejudice that has plagued the LGBTQ plus community. Earlier this week, Pride leadership said Merritt wasn't welcome, citing his voting record supporting legislation like RIFRA, a vote Merritt now says he regrets. I have come to know that we all must stand up and work together to respect and protect the rights of others. Merritt says his views have evolved and he's going to fight for the LGBTQ community. Any Pride's reaction? Prove it. The goals are that he outlined today are the objectives that we've been fighting for for decades. And executive director Chris Hanberg says he's willing to give Merritt that chance. I think it was a great first step and I know that he'll have to spend many years proving um, what he said today. That's the big challenge for politicians now. We want to see them evolve. We also want to see proof that it's not just pandering. Political expert Laura Wilson says best way to do that is legislation, adding that RIFRA was a national controversy, one that will likely stick with many voters. And in this day and age, politicians are being more tightly held to their past actions. You can look at Joe Biden on the national level and the Anita Hill testimony in terms of Clarence Thomas and his confirmation hearings. That's 30 years ago and it's still going to haunt him if you can't prove that it's not just saying he's changed, he's actually changed. Nick McGill reporting there. Nick, thanks. Now on to the race for president. Former VP Joe Biden still leading the field of 2020 Democrats. More on that in a moment. This weekend, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg is in Iowa again, but he'll be holding an event right here in central Indiana next week. He'll speak Tuesday at the IU Auditorium in Bloomington, discussing foreign policy and national security. And he'll reportedly be introduced there by former Indiana Congressman Lee Hamilton. Meantime, the latest poll out this week from CNN has Buttigieg down a couple points in fifth place now. Here's the top four, Biden, Sanders, Kamala Harris, and Elizabeth Warren, who was here in Indiana last week. In fact, she was right in Mayor Pete's backyard, holding a community conversation in Elkhart. Afterwards, she spoke about the issue of abortion, a hot topic these days with several states passing new abortion restrictions. In fact, that same CNN poll showed three in 10 Americans would only vote for a candidate who shares their views on abortion. We always have to make this clear. Every time we deny access to women to a lawful abortion, it means that people who don't have money, people who are in very challenging circumstances, people who are frightened, are the ones who don't get access. And that's just not right. Senator Warren's remarks coming as former VP Joe Biden announced a change this week in his views on what's known as the Hyde Amendment, a measure he once supported. I can't justify leaving millions of women without access to the care they need and the ability to, to exercise their constitutionally protected right. 
If I believe health care is a right as I do, I can no longer support an amendment that makes that right dependent on someone's zip code. In a statement this week, Indiana Congressman Jim Banks said, quote, Democrats are tearing themselves apart over the Hyde Amendment. Banks says repealing the provision would be, in his words, a blatant violation of religious liberty. Meantime, a lot of talk about trade this weekend amidst the high-stakes negotiations with Mexico. The president threatening a 5% tariff. The president's plan called for a 5% tariff on imports from Mexico starting tomorrow. But then Friday night came word of a deal, possibly averting that 5% tariff and the threat that it could have gone up another 5% every month. All of this talk causing a lot of controversy this past week. The Indiana Chamber talking about the potential impact here in the Hoosier state. In a statement, the chamber president said, quote, using economic threats against our neighbor and one of our country's largest trading partners to compensate for unfulfilled promises by the administration and Congress on immigration is an irrational and extremely damaging concept. Indiana businesses and consumers will once again be the innocent victims. Nearly a sixth of the $4.5 billion of Mexican products imported into our state comes from the auto parts sector. If implemented, they said a likely retaliation could have further impacted Hoosiers. Now, Friday before that deal was announced, we caught up with Indiana Senator Todd Young. I have looked into it, and uh, right now it's a hypothetical because uh, these negotiations are ongoing, and I, I hope it can be resolved. Everyone wants this to be resolved. Now, on Friday, Senator Young also held an event honoring local veterans before touring storm damage in Pendleton. Earlier this week, he discussed a number of other topics with our Frank Mickens, including his proposal to raise the legal smoking age to 21. Well, we really have a uh, we have a crisis in this country uh, among our middle school and high school students uh, as it relates to the use of e-cigarette and vaping products. Over a one-year time period, there was an increase in utilization of about 50 percent in among middle school students and about 80 percent among high school students. That's from 2017 to 2018. More importantly, I've heard from Hoosier parents, school administrators. Uh, teachers. I even ho- heard from my own 12-year-old daughter uh, about the usage of these products in schools, and um, uh, they are ultimately life-threatening. Uh, before uh, people develop uh, cancer, however, there's all manner of different uh, health costs that are imposed on individuals. And by increasing uh, the age of purchase of tobacco products, uh, that's the number one public health instrument instrument we can bring to bear uh, to address this crisis, experts tell us. Now, as a veteran, I know you've been paying close attention to today's 75th anniversary of D-Day and also the president's trip to Europe. What do you make of, how do you even feel about the, the dichotomy between you know, a lot of the language from the president about unity and working together and then the criticism from him and even his opponents uh, taking issue with the current state of affairs, either with NATO, uh, of course, the the scrap with the the mayor of London. What do you make of these these two? Uh, I guess you could say contrasting elements of of his foreign relations. Well, I saw some of the president's remarks uh, that he made this morning, and uh, they were tasteful, appropriate, and quite powerful. He recognized the importance of unity transatlantically and globally uh, to fight the forces of hate and evil. Uh, We were able to defeat the Nazis uh, by unifying around our Western values 
Uh, and um, more specifically, because of the sacrifices made by uh, young men uh, storming the beaches of Normandy, young men like uh, 96-year-old uh, Sergeant Carl Mann, United States Army, who passed away back in March. He received three Purple Hearts and seven Bronze Stars for his bravery. Uh, the Nazis wouldn't have been defeated. It's very likely that that regime would have acquired nuclear technology and, um, and, and perhaps uh, led to the result of, of uh, uh, either Germany winning the war or the death of millions uh, more uh, Americans and our, and our allies, uh, but for their sacrifices. So, uh, I mean, I'm privileged to play a role uh, as the president's playing a very significant role in celebrating and honoring their sacrifices. Senator Todd Young there with our Frank Mickens this week. Up next, we'll talk with two Democrats who may be looking to take on Governor Holcomb next year. And we'll talk with our panel about the race for mayor in Indy and the controversy over this weekend's Pride Parade. Stick around. We'll be right back. Time to bring in our panel right now. Joining us today, 2016 Vice Chair of the Indiana Trump Campaign, Tony Samuel. Former Communications Director for the Indiana Senate Democrats, Elise Schrock. Former GOP lawmaker, Mike Murphy. And former Council Candidate, Lee Riley Evans, with us today as well. Thanks so much for being with us today. Let's start local here with the Pride Parade this weekend and all of the controversy leading up to it. What does it all mean in this race for mayor? It means that we have to pay attention to stopping the discrimination. We know that um, it's bad for business when we are eliminating people based on their sexual orientation. And so I'm hopeful that there will be some considerations made for whether or not there's participation in the Pride. Mike, was this a bad week for Senator Merritt, or is he able to move it forward? Was a, it was this? a confusing week, and I'm a Republican <laughs> trying to understand all that happened. But the bottom line is Indy Pride is a private organization. They can have anybody in the parade they want or not want. The 500 Festival has not allowed people in the parade before. The Irish uh, the St. Patrick's Day group has not allowed people before. So it's completely within their right. But it really doesn't make any difference in the race. What Merritt needs to do is raise more money so he can get his message out better. He hasn't done that yet. What do you make of all this, Elise? Oh, look, I think this was mishandled from the start. I, I mean, you can't walk into a, an entire community with a near three-decade record of voting against them ex and expect them to take you for your word right off the bat. He's going to have to work for that. Second, it was just one of those news cycles where it just kept they kept feeding it. So instead of taking a step back and saying, okay, we're going to reevaluate this, maybe we'll you know, walk next year. In the meantime, let's sit down and have some conversations. There was just a lot of back and forth and confusion as to what uh, Senator Merritt personally wanted to do in the, in the parade and where he stood. Um, so I, I think it was mishandled, and I, I really think feeding that news cycle was a mistake. And ultimately, this is a celebration um, for the LGBT community. This is their time to take pride in who they are all month long. So Senator Merritt needs to take a seat and let them do that. Much of this initially reported, we should point out, by our colleague who sits on the panel often, uh, Adam Wren in Importantville. Uh, Tony, should Senator Merritt have, have expected this more or less running for mayor in Indianapolis? Uh, serving in the state legislature, having voted for RIFRA in the past. Does, does this come as a surprise in, in some way, or should he have expected this, this moment to come? Oh, I, I suppose he should have expected certain elements of it, but uh, it is confusing, like uh, Mike said, and, and uh, maybe took him by surprise just as to how much of a pushback there was. The, the, the thing about, maybe you can find some good out of this, in that there's now a dialogue between 
Jim Merritt and uh, the LGBTQ plus community. And he has stated what he'll do uh, if elected mayor, that will be positive for them. He's listed, uh, set out a, a set of uh, uh, goals and, and I'm sure he'll act on those if elected. He's also explained that he, you know, there was the RIFRA, RIFRA controversy, but then he voted for the fix. And I think that was widely accepted. He's also shown, uh, stated that he will uh, uh, try to uh, still continue with the, the hate crimes legislation effort and, and uh, look for trying to get a list done. So he has reached out, I think uh, adequately so, for him, for his candidacy, and I, I think the other side can, can uh, should uh, continue the dialogue and try to, try to you know, give him a chance. One thing you have to remember, Dan, about, about Jim Merritt is he's one of the nicest guys ever met. He is so nice you can't believe how nice he is, almost naively nice, if you want to call it that. So I can imagine him thinking nothing of this until the controversy erupts and him genuinely being shocked and then stumbling a little bit through the gates of the, of the media coverage. So I have no qualms with his intent or his sincerity. We'll just have to see how everything plays out. We'll see what happens next. All right, from 2019 to 2020, let's talk about the race for president now. Joe Biden's big reversal this week on the issue of abortion. You had Elizabeth Warren here in Indiana earlier this week speaking in Fort Wayne and in Elkhart. Pete Buttigieg back in Iowa this weekend in Bloomington on Tuesday. You got debates coming up later this month and the president now facing a lot of questions about trade and this back and forth with Mexico. We've seen how tariffs with China have impacted farmers in Indiana. How will all of these issues stack up ahead of next year's campaign? So much happening this past yeah, week. Yeah, there is so much happening. It's hard to keep track, but continuing to have the conversations is what's important. But it also speaks to the necessary benefit of your back, back of the house support. And I think that's probably something that Merritt could have benefited from. Whoever was his comm director, making sure that we know how best to get in front of a message and don't be shocked by on what the general public may expect. Well, and you know, you, you mentioned you merit there, and in, in the piece at the beginning of the broadcast, you, you, we heard from Laura Wilson talking about uh, how politicians can be held to their views from, from long ago, mm -hmm. or recently you had that with, with Jim Merritt, but also now with Joe Biden this past week, the issue of abortion, Mike. Uh, what do you make of uh, the 2020 candidates and where they all sit today? Well, confusing may be the word of the week. I mean, right. We've got this debate coming up. They can't even fit everybody in one, one rostrum, right? It's going to be two nights. It's a great night to be an observer. Both nights would be a great night to be an observer. But I think that uh, right now, Biden, Biden has it. I mean, he, it's a long way to go, but he seems to be way out there. He's collecting most of the Obama uh, backers, contributors of any, of any size or importance. So it's going to take a pretty clever campaign to uh, to catch up. Maybe Buttigieg has it. Maybe Harris has it. I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not a prophet. Buttigieg spending a lot of time in Iowa as he is this weekend. He sure is, and I, I think um, you know we've talked week after week how we said we needed him to come out of the gate strong, and he did. Um, there was some commentary that maybe you know he would come out strong, burn bright, and fade out, and he hasn't done that. He keeps going. He's uh, able to find new pockets um, of you know uh, of new audiences to hit. Um, so he's his showing has been pretty strong. I would what, say. What about these tariffs and the talks with Mexico? I'll, I'll, I imagine the two of you have sure, much well, different views. And on that's something that I think um, that uh, Mayor Buttigieg brings up every time he's on the stump, where mm -hmm. it's not just about you know these tariffs where that are hitting farmers. It's going to affect food prices for your everyday consumer, but it's also about climate change. Mm -hmm. South Bend had two historic floods. Historic floods are becoming a common thing. And now we have this administration trying to roll back um, emission standards. All of this is linked, and it really comes down uh, to hurting everyday 
uh, citizens right in the pocket and right in where they're trying to work and just do their jobs. Is this fight with Mexico, uh, obviously it, it boldens the president's support amongst his base, but is he, is he struggling to reach beyond that uh, support of base picking, picking this oh, fight? You, you've got some Republicans that are opposed, but you've got the Republicans in the House that are, that are uh, behind him. He's doing the right thing because there's a crisis at the border. He's looking for every tool that he has. He's got an obstruction uh, in, in different areas, so he's looking to the terrorists, to the economic uh, uh, a tool that he, that he can use. We've got a strong economy. Mexico came to the table right away. So, you know, they're fearful of this, uh, of this tactic, and I think it's going to work in the end. Some progress I have in to those say, talks. I have to say, I disagree with my friend over here. <laughs> I think Trump's going about exactly the wrong way. If you really wanted to stop the flow across the border, he would help Mexico improve their economy so people want to stay home and work in their home states. Nobody wants to go to another country unless by economic circumstances they are they're absolutely forced to. You gotta remember, our Republican Party had two years where we controlled the House, the Senate, and the White House, and we did not a single thing on immigration to solve this problem. And I'll just problem. say that Mexico has improved their economy. That's why so much of our manufacturing and our automotive industry has gone to Mexico. So now it's time to let make sure they put up to help us on the crisis on the border. So that'll continue to be a big issue as we look ahead to the 2020 race for president. Also next year, the race for governor looming here in Indiana. We've been talking about some of the potential candidates in the Democratic field. This week, State Senator Eddie Melton forming an exploratory committee. We spoke last week with State Representative Carly Maser, who's considering a run. Also spoke today, you'll hear from him in just a minute, with uh, Dr. Woody Myers, former State Health Commissioner. Baron Hill also mentioned as a potential uh, candidate for governor. The Democrats uh, looking to find somebody to run against governor. Holcomb, yeah. who has been fairly popular in, in recent polls. Yeah, he has been fairly popular, but as we know, he, one moment he was losing the primary as a senator, and then, what was it, eight months later, he was governor. Senate governor yeah. and running for governor, right. <laughs> right. And so having other options doesn't mean that um, Woody or, or Eddie aren't out of it just yet, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do and getting their campaigns together, if so decided to make a run for the governor. What do you make of the field uh, that we see so far? Well, or Woody Myers is one of the smartest people I've ever met. I've seen him take major corporations, the, the medical part, whether it's Ford Motor Company, Anthem, WellPoint, Blue Cross Blue Shield of, of uh, Arizona, the New York Public Health Service, New York City Public Health Service, and then the Indiana Public Health Service, and do tremendous things with them. He's, if he and Holcomb are on the same stage, same stage together, they're gonna have an incredible debate. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that Woody's going to win the race. Holcomb still wins by a long shot. You've been working behind the scenes with State Representative Carly Maser. How close might she be to a decision as really all of these candidates uh, start to uh, try to get ahead of one another? You had Eddie Melton first to the starting line on sure. the Exploratory Committee. Sure, we're, uh, we're coming down to the line on this. I think over the next month or so you'll see um, some uh, decisions being made, but this is a huge decision. It affects your family, it affects your work, you know, I, but I, I'm really excited. I mean, Eddie, and um, uh, Senator Melton and Representative Maser both know what it's like to run in the current political climate and win, even with Trump at the top of the ticket. So um, I think it's anyone's game. I'm excited to see um, some, a very strong field from our party, and I'm excited to see them move forward. We'll talk about it more uh, on our podcast. Coming up next here this Sunday in Focus, we will hear from two of those Democrats who could be looking to take on Governor Holcomb next year. Stick around. We'll be back right after this. Well, with the 2020 campaign cycle getting underway, we are hearing from more of the Democrats who could go up against Governor Eric Holcomb next year, including a state senator who just took the first step towards a possible run 
this week. You've launched an exploratory committee considering a possible run for governor. Why do you feel you're the right candidate potentially to take on Governor Holcomb next year? Well, first thing, I've been able to serve in the capacity as deputy chair of the state party, Indiana Democratic Party, and I've been traveling across the state for over the last two years. And I've been hearing consistently from Hoosiers all over across the state in terms of some of the issues such as education, such as veteran affairs, such as just economic development in general. Right now, I'm joined by former state health commissioner, Dr. Woody Myers. Thanks so much for being with it's us. Good to today. be back. You are one of a few Democrats considering a possible run for governor. As we sit here today, is it something you're likely to pursue? I am very close to uh, pushing that button and making that decision. This is something that I've been thinking about for a while. It's really the best opportunity I have to once again offer my leadership to the state of Indiana. I've been involved in leadership my entire career from healthcare to the automotive industry and a variety of other places. It's time to really double down in our state to really move us forward faster. You can see more of these interviews on our website, including our chat last week with State Representative Carly Maser, who's also considering a run for governor. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. All right, let's wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tony, who do you got? Uh, winner for the week, President Trump, for doing an excellent job representing our country uh, across the, the pond uh, in uh, Great Britain and at Normandy. Um, just a, a big win for the president this week. Elise? My winner this week are uh, queer Hoosiers across the state. June is an exciting month uh, for Pride, so there are communities all across the state that are going to be celebrating that, and it's, uh, I think, queer kids in particular are the winners to, ha to be able to see that in their communities firsthand. Mike? Two big winners. First of all, we have uh, Darlene Sherman, the new state rep from the this South morning, Side. Morning tomorrow. One of the most thoughtful people that will ever serve in our legislature. And I have to give a, a bow to Maggie Leslie, one of the most connected women in Indiana politics for 40 years. She's retiring as an executive assistant to uh, John Hammond and just a very well-connected, good person. Lee, you get the last word this All morning. right. Well, my winner for the week are the formerly incarcerated. There have been a lot of conversations with the new documentary called When They See Us, but more importantly, there are more than 75,000 residents of Nevada who can vote now as opposed to waiting two years after they've been released from incarceration. Been an issue on the campaign trail this year mm -hmm. as well. You guys are so kind. No losers this week. All winners <laughs> here from the panel. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, hanging out uh, after the broadcast here. More with our panel on our podcast today. Lee Riley Evans, Mike Murphy, Elise Schrock, Tony Samuel. Thank you all for being here once again. What else stood out to you in the news this week? We had a lot going on at the local level with, with Jim Merritt and the Pride Parade. Mm -hmm. uh, at the state level, some moves toward a run for governor for uh, some possible candidates. And, of course, everything happening with the president. Uh, at the national level. What stood out to you this week? The other thing that stood out to me was just the extreme weather conditions. I mean, we're going through excessive flooding and, and rain here, and you go across to, to Europe or into India, and they're dealing with extreme heat. I mean, eight of the 15 hottest places are in India. They're literally watering their streets to keep them from melting. So what stood out to me really is that we've got to pay attention to our environment. We've got to focus on addressing our climate change. Some of that framed, yeah, in terms of climate, also in terms of farmers and the things right. they have faced and this the, year in Indiana. A lot and of the impact it with is. the weather and with the tariffs. Uh, Mike, how the about you? The small business impact yeah, is huge. Right. I'm more worried about the farmers of Indiana than I am the streets of India, frankly. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, we have the Chamber of Commerce, who's normally right with the president. 
um, really coming out in one of the strongest statements I've ever heard the chamber uh, give. They didn't mince Trump. words there. Mm -hmm. They didn't mince words. I think our Indiana farmers are in trouble, not only because of tariffs, but because they haven't been able to plant their corn yet. You've got and and just drive water. through Hancock right. County <laughs> and you see all these weeds growing up where there should be pretty good corn stalks right now. So I'm worried for our farmers. You know, uh, I'm not sure, I'm not an ag expert, but it's going to be a tough year for them to hang in there and, and, and come back. Well, and that's on the heels of last fall where we saw the opposite, where um, in my hometown there were silos and silos of soybeans just there and rotting because mm -hmm. of a different conversation that was happening around was trade wars. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and now, you know, I, and I use my hometown as a pretty good barometer for what's from? going on. I'm from Kokomo. Kokomo. So, you know, we've got a little, you know, city uh, pocket, county seat of um, Howard County, right. but I grew up in the middle of a number of cornfields that aren't getting planted. Um, where I grew up, it is a pretty frequent conversation on where planting is so far this year, and it's it's been kind of scary. A lot of people who I know and grew up with, their livelihood is um, at risk, and crop insurance doesn't cover all of it. Mike, you mentioned that statement by the chamber. Tony, I want to get your, your response to that. I mean, they said, using these threats against our neighbor, one of our country's largest trading partners, to compensate for unfulfilled promises by the administration on immigration is irrational, extremely damaging in their words. What, what's your response? Well, I don't know why they had to put it that way, unfulfilled <laughs> promises by the administration when it's Congress that has failed to they, act. I should say, they did say by the administration and Congress. Okay, they put them both in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, they should have just said <laughs> 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 um, But, you know, it's, it's a huge issue. And the president, and I think he'll get, uh, I said this last week, be rewarded come 2020, come the election, because he's trying everything. This isn't his first option. Uh, you, you know, he's um, been doing what you need to do to get funding uh, or he's had to had to go to the you know an emergency a declaration of an emergency to get funding for the wall. Uh, they're improving technology. They're doing all those kinds of things. But you've still got thousands and, and thousands at a time crossing the border, coming up through those three uh, uh, countries south of, of Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, uh, and 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 you don't have enough being done by the Mexican government. Now they are deploying 8,000 uh, or so more of their National Guard troops to the southern border with Guatemala, and that's a step in the right and direction. And we'll see how it all shakes out but, as those talks but progress. Yeah, you can't take away, you can't uh, uh, take the president's arm and, and try to uh, pin it behind his back when he's got all these things uh, and he's trying to use our economic leverage, and he said he was going to do that when he was running for president. So, that's what's going on. And as we said, some of this could certainly play very well with the president's base. But he has seemed to struggle in some polls lately in some of those border states. In Arizona and <clears throat> Texas, a poll this week where Joe Biden was doing fairly well there against the president. Well, not to mention when he says there's a crisis at the border, I agree, but I, it's a different type of crisis. I think the crisis is that we're still um, engaging in family separation. Uh, recently this week it was announced that kids in detention centers would have less access to uh, daily activities to try and create some type of normalcy for their, these kids that are there Absolutely. under no choice of their own. There are children dying 
Um, there are cases of sexual assault. I think that's the real emergency. Well, it was created by the president, and I think that it is politicizing our border in a way where um, it's it's pretty despicable. Could, and to could, Mike's could, point earlier, we have to make sure that we're keeping their home safe. I mean, that really should be where some more of the focus is, not so much the crisis being that they're well, coming across the border. Well, let me just border. say a couple of things. This wasn't created by the president. The president didn't uh, invite folks to come over and cross the border illegally. The, the um, uh, border patrol and, and the resources, the U.S. resources on the border are strained. That's why they've had to cut some of those services. Nobody wants to do that, but nobody can, uh, they cannot handle uh, what, what's the numbers that are now coming over the border uh, illegally using children uh, that, that uh, to, to get, you know, uh, by a U.S. law that isn't being changed by Congress. Uh, so it's, it is a crisis. Weeks ago, months ago, uh, even on this show, uh, folks said that it was not a crisis. Uh, you know, if, you would have, if we would have seen from the Democrat side back then that it needed to be addressed, um, we wouldn't have gotten to this point now. Uh, another point, uh, just regarding Mexico, uh, you're not having, you're not seeing movement in the House led by Nancy Pelosi on signing the the new agreement, the uh, the U.S.-Mexico trade agreement. That would be a step in the right direction as well. Let's talk about these polls for a second. First of all, we as most of us, I think, native Midwesterners, we it's very difficult, if not impossible, for us <clears throat> to appreciate what the conditions are like politically and demographically in those southwestern states. Significant portions of those people are either Latinos, right, um, part of the economy, whether they're citizens of the United States or not citizens. Um, but it's, it's almost like people, you know, almost everybody in Indiana is related to somebody from Kentucky, right? It's the same thing down there. Almost everybody in New Mexico and southern Texas, at least, have some relatives or some familial connection to Mexico. And so um, it's very different. We can look and say, oh, keep everybody away, keep everybody away up here, you know, go, you know, go, go, go Trump. But for them, the Latinos are part of the community, part of the economy, maybe more importantly, and they can't get their, I don't care if it's watermelons, you know, whatever agriculture product, tomatoes, whatever it is down there picked, if they don't have the full participation of those Latinos, both, both citizens and non-citizens. Arizona and Texas, typically red states, Arizona more purple, um, if, if, if Democrats do well in those states, what does that what it happen to do well? pull an upset in those states, what does that mean for, for 2020? I mean, if, if Democrats tend to do well in those states, I think that is, um, speaks clearly to where, um, a changing electoral yeah, map, perhaps? A, a, a changing yeah. map, a changing perception of what the, what, what the president said he was going to do mm -hmm. and did it, and maybe that's not, you know, exactly what they thought they signed up for. I think as long as crime and drugs and gangs are still an issue, and they will be an issue, that's not getting solved. It's, and part of the reason it's not getting solved is we're not winning that battle that, uh, on, on the border. So that'll still be an issue. And, and, and like I said earlier, uh, I do think the president will be rewarded for his efforts. He's, he's successful in a lot of ways uh, in different areas across the economy and, and across the, the issues um, uh, and, and trying on, on this front. Um, the other thing that struck out to me this week is uh, what's happening with the Democrat candidates. Now you're starting to see them go after each other. And Biden has stumbled quite a bit here in the last few weeks with his rollout of, the, of his version of a Green New Deal and, 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 and plagiarizing that and then uh, you know, taking some heat from, from now rejecting the Hyde Amendment, um, but, but, but taking heat 
was was the reason for his flip flop on that issue. They're going it took after him. Both sides at yeah, one time or another. They're going after him. They'll start going after each other, and that's going to make, uh, especially coming after this but first debate. Still, in a lot of the head-to-head, seems to be doing the strongest just because of name, uh, name recognition, name recognition mm-hmm. at this point. And money. Yeah. And, and money. money. Yeah. A lot of money being raised. Yeah, and you're seeing these these folks that are at one two percent get more desperate. So I think that's what's going to. They're going to start hitting. Some people at they're going to start hitting right now. We need to get <laughs> yeah. to one yeah. percent to make it. Yeah. 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 Trying right. to get on stage, right? In fact, that deadline comes this week. What impact will that have when you see all the candidates? on two different nights stacked up against one another here in a few weeks. Sure. I, I just don't completely buy into the narrative that they're going at each other's throats mm-hmm. yet. I, I just don't. I think they're starting. I don't see that. Um, we will see. I do think that um, one or two stages full of Democrats talking about our ideas to move our country forward, giving an alternative to what's going on now, I think, um, I don't think that's necessarily you, a bad you, thing for Democrats. We have the Democrats have 20 Jim Gilmores right now, okay, who are never going to make it above zero percent. You guys probably don't remember Jim Who's Gilmore. Jim Gilmore? Governor was the 16th Republican, <laughs> former right? governor of Virginia, former governor of Virginia, great governor, <laughs> ran for uh, president and never made right, the debate. You hear about the 20 Democrats who are going to make the debate. There are a handful Another more, to your point, right. that aren't even going to. I don't, to don't know. Point. I think there there's are quite a few five, that have more name ID than. But there's that. probably four or five legitimate candidates on the Democratic side, and they will emerge over time. The other ones will fade away, and they will be able to tell their grandparents or grandchildren they ran for president, and that'll be it. I said this before. I still think Eric Holder gets in the race. I still think there might be somebody else. You're right. There's He's a, on TV a lot, isn't he? He's Holder been on TV a lot, and, yeah. and, and um, you know, I think uh, the more Biden stumbles, the more you'll see others take shots at him. And, uh, and maybe, you know, the emergence of somebody else. We talked about this uh, a few minutes ago on the actual broadcast. What impact could the national dynamic in 2020 have on the 2020 ballot here in Indiana in the race for governor? Sure. I mean, obviously, if Pete Buttigieg makes it all the way through, which it would be quite an accomplishment, but exciting. I think that changes things for Indiana because he's a hometown guy. And perhaps on Um, either side of the ticket, who knows? Right. So um, I think that would definitely have an impact um, on the 2020 ticket. Okay. So in 2008, Barack Obama wins the presidency, right? And won Indiana. And did did Mitch Daniels, I mean, suffer even a piece of dandruff on his shoulder in that race? He won convincingly. Of course not, right? In 2012, you know, <clears throat> Obama wins again. He has a term. Did not win Indiana. But alternatively, yeah, we had a, had a, a Republican governor running and, and still nationally went blue, which I think was but my point also is, still quite a story. My point is, we, we in 2008 and 2012, two of the strongest Democratic years, right? Mitch Daniels cleaned everybody's clock in 08, and uh, Pence won in 2012. A closer race, but he still won over John Gregg. So... Indiana voters are smart. Sometimes they'll vote for Democrats, sometimes they'll vote for Republican. They generally vote for Democratic mayors, they generally vote for Republican legislators. And presidential, except for the Obama years, they've, uh, the Obama year, I should say, <laughs> 08, they've gone Republican since 1964. I think that's what's interesting about House District 92, where Representative Carly Macer is from in 2016 when we saw Republicans largely sweep the state. She held on to her seat in a seat where she's the first Democrat yeah. to have been elected. It's so because you're right. all, all politics are local, and Carly Mayer is well known on the, si- on the west side. So to to that uh, point uh, about this emerging Democratic uh, shadow primary before the primary, here we've mm-hmm. got a few candidates in the mix. Um, 
it's always an interesting time of the year. I remember because we, we first launched In Focus exactly four years ago. That's about when we hit the airwaves, when John Gregg and Glenda Ritz were kind of uh, hashing it out potentially in the race for governor. Uh, do you think we'll see a contested primary here? I'm not sure. I, I'm still waiting to see exactly who makes the decision to get in the race. Um, but I'm looking forward to having Sounds like Woody choice. Myers in yeah, from well, our interview. Yeah. Well, he still has a lot of yeah. work to do. He says he'll be making a decision really soon. soon what, yeah. what, what, what do you make of I think the, the primary, the, the crowded primaries are usually a lack or caused by a lack of leadership at the party level. Okay. So one of the main jobs of any party chairman, be they Democrat or Republican, is to control ambition, all right? To say, you're running and you're not, because your turn hasn't come yet, right? We'll run you for judge instead, or whatever the case may be. And so whenever you have 16 candidates on the Republican side for president, that was a lack of leadership on Rance Priebus's part. If, if you end up with 24 Democrats running, and I don't know how many make it at the gate, but say 20 of the 24, that's a lack of leadership on the part of, of, of Perez. You need to get down to three, four uh, candidates who each offer a different kind of perspective and a different, you know, a different offering, so to speak. Gives people real choice, and then you go to it. Here in Indiana, on in the governor's race, um, you know, I, I, if Zodi is is doing his job as the chairman, I think we'll have um, less than three people go to the gate. And, and so far, just a you know a small handful a of, of mm -hmm. interested mm -hmm. potential candidates. Tony, you didn't get to weigh in on the broadcast on the emerging race for governor here. Governor Holcomb's uh, numbers in the polls seem to be pretty strong. Where do Democrats, uh, where yeah. do Democrats find an angle? Here? Well, and I think, I think Governor Holcomb's numbers will remain strong. He doesn't make mistakes. Uh, you know, he plays it pretty safe. He doesn't go out on some of the limbs that, that both uh, his predecessors, Governor Daniels and Governor Pence, uh, had, had done. Uh, and he's had success. He's working with the legislature. So there's, they're not going to have a lot to attack him. On. Um, at the same time, I agree. It sounded like Woody Myers uh, is getting in, and I, I don't think he'll be the only one. Uh, I agree with what Mike said. Uh, it needs to be a better job at, at, the, at the top of these parties to control this. But once you see what's happening at the national level, uh, folks that are uh, you know ambitious and, and, and have that uh, you know uh, uh, idea to run, they're going to be more emboldened to, to do so because of what's happening at the national level. All right. Uh, final word on this week. Any other thoughts on uh, everything we've seen in politics this week? The controversy over the Pride, Pride Parade, Senator Merritt, the race for mayor. I think it all just speaks to, to Hoosiers' need for authenticity and trust in their politicians. Um, that's what it's going to come down to, uh, the governor's race. I know Governor Holcomb um, has a very strong showing from fundraising, but he's going to need it because people, I, I, you know, you ask your neighbor, who's the governor? And... They can't often tell you his, his name. Well, he was 54-24 um, in that poll, and the other portion that doesn't add up to 100 right. still kind of unfamiliar with him right. to some degree, right? Right. I'd have to say I know that President Trump spends most of his day and night watching TV and listening to podcasts, according to stories I've been told. So if he is listening to our podcast this morning, <laughs> i just say, Mr. President, Ireland is not building a wall between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Ireland. So uh, please move on to another issue. That was uh, something you were remarking <laughs> on during one of the commercial breaks. Thank you all for being here. Lee, great having you here I as well this that. week. Thank, Thank you. you all so much. We'll see you again Thanks, next Dan. week right Thanks, here Dan. on In Focus. Thanks, guys.